the second house that I bought, we bought it for $21,000 in cash, put 10000 into repairing it. So we're in it for thirty-one total and it rents for about 900 a month. Are you ready for the best real estate investing advice ever? Join Joe Fairless and today's best ever guests as they share it with you. It's the best ever advice with none of the fluff. Let's go. Are you having a hard time finding great investment properties? Unfortunately, the best deals are rarely found locally. Successful investing begins with the right properties in the right markets. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best deals across the U.S. Our simple, proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly cash flow. Get your free copy of the ultimate guide to out-of-state real estate investing at noradarealestate.com slash guide. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com slash guide. Do you know how you can benefit from crowdfunding? If you haven't checked out our special series, Best Crowdfunding Crash Course Ever, presented by Patch of Land, then you need to. It's episodes 152, 159, 166, and 173, because you'll hear from the industry's leading crowdfunding experts on how you can benefit by getting involved, whether it's getting access to funds for your deal or passively investing in other people's deals. The time is now to get started. Go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever to grab your copy of the top 10 answers to the top 10 crowdfunding questions. That's P-A-T-C-H-O-F-L-E-N-D.com forward slash best ever. Hi, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless, and I'm here with today's guest, Paula Pant. Hi, Paula. Hi, how's it going? It's going well. Thank you so much for joining us. Paula is joining us from Hotlanta, otherwise known as Atlanta, Georgia. She is the founder of Afford Anything. She is an active investor. She's got seven rental properties and she has traveled to 32 countries since quitting her nine to five job. You can go to Afford Anything, her blog and website and You'll be able to learn about real estate and lifestyle that rebels against chaining yourself to a desk for 40 years, as she refers to it. So with that being said, Paula, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Absolutely. Hi, best ever listeners. Hope you're all doing well. Um, like Joe said, I'm Paula Pant. I, I used to have a nine to five job once upon a time, and thank goodness I no longer do. Uh, I quit that job in 2008 and never looked back. And at this point in my life, I I can't really even fathom having having to wake up and and put on some real clothes, rather, you know, something that's not yoga pants. Yeah. So how did you get to that point in your career? Well, um, it, it happened in stages. So when I quit my job, um, I didn't honestly, I, I didn't have much of a plan other than I didn't want to be working anymore. Um, and, and at that time, I had no idea that real estate was in my future. Um, so uh, at the time that I quit my job, I had I was I was a newspaper reporter back in the day. And um, you may not know this, but real uh, newspapers have become less popular over time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a business I wouldn't necessarily invest in anymore. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So, you know, I could see that the industry was shrinking, the opportunities were drying up, and I could see that the future of 
of newspaper reporting was going to be more online, more freelance. And so while I was still at the paper, I began doing freelance work just on the side in the evenings and weekends. And that did two things for me. Number one, it gave me additional income, which um, I could fall back on or use as a safety net after I made the leap. But number two, and I think this was more important, it gave me the confidence to know that I could. And that was critical. I, I would go so far as to say it never would have happened without that. And confidence is one of those really underrated um, topics because it's it's not quantifiable, it's not tangible, but it's so important. So uh, so I, I freelanced in the evenings and weekends. I eventually saw that I was making, as a quote-unquote hourly rate, a much higher pay rate as a freelancer than I was uh, in my full-time job. I saved up um, about $25,000 and and then I quit. And and when in, when I initially quit, the first thing I did was I went and traveled for a couple of years um, because that had been a, a dream that I'd had for many years. And I didn't want to defer it any longer. I thought, you know, you only live once. Let's let's go off and see the world. So I spent the next couple of years hopping around Europe, Southeast Asia, Australia, New Zealand, even parts of the Middle East, Egypt, um, Egypt, Israel, some various other areas. So um, had a great time. And I intentionally wasn't working almost at all during that time, just sort of living on savings. And when I came back to the United States, I had this amazing, shocking, terrible realization that I might need to get a job again. And that was so repulsive to me that I vowed to do anything I could to make sure that that never had to happen. So I um, threw myself into building a freelance career and, uh, you know, and, and trying to make it on my own as a self-employed person. And as that was happening, I was a renter um, and, and my brain was just in entrepreneurial mode. I, I was looking around for opportunities and I crunched the numbers on the place that I was renting. Um, I was renting one unit within a triplex. Uh, and and of course, you can get the the sales history from like Zillow or Trulia or any of those websites. So I knew what my landlord had bought it for. And I knew what my unit was paying in rent. And I had a pretty good estimate of what the other units were paying. And I crunched the numbers and realized my landlord was getting a terrible deal. Um, because for him, the rent equaled the mortgage, which meant there was no margin left over for vacancies, management, maintenance, repairs, um, anything, pest control, uh, landlord paid utilities such as water. I mean, there was nothing left over for him. And so I thought, wow, he's, he's losing his shirt on this. And then a few months later, I noticed that the house across the street was for sale. And uh, this was during the recession. This was 2010. Um, it had been on the market for 18 months it was a short sale. The owner was about to go into foreclosure. It had originally been listed for four forty. I picked it up at two twenty five, so almost half of its original asking price. And uh, and that was my first rental property. I moved into one of the units and rented out the other two units. Um, and in fact, because I was starting literally at the bottom, um, you know, starting with not that much money, I moved into one of the units and and. Also, it was moved roommates in with me. So I was in that really awkward position where I was um, my roommate's landlord, in addition to also, you know, owning the rest of the building as well. 
And really quick question on that property the, where you said you got the the property was worth four hundred forty thousand. You bought it for two hundred twenty five k for a short sale. With you freelancing, how did you qualify for that mortgage? Oh well, so I had been uh, back in the United States for maybe about a year or so at the time, but I had officially been filing taxes as a freelancer for two to three years at that point because I quit my job in two thousand eight. So even though I wasn't making a huge amount of money. Um, I was made, I had, I was quote unquote self-employed for more than two years. I also bought it with uh, my boyfriend. So the both of us together, and he had also been traveling with me. Um, so both of us used our joint income to qualify for, uh, the loan. And then also I, uh, the fact, the fact that we were occupying one of the units, um, you know, allowed us that, that made it a little bit easier because instead of having to apply for an investor loan, you, we were owner occupants, you know, of a residential property. Um, so, and then also the, the final kind of nail in the coffin is we did a have to go through multiple lenders and multiple, it was a huge pain in the butt. Um, we had to apply many times and B, we got penalized with a much higher interest rate than we otherwise would have gotten. We paid a 5.375, uh, interest rate at a time that was 2010 so that was a time when most people were getting in the three percent so we were we paid almost two percent higher than than our peers paula what is your best real estate investing advice ever do it just start just do it um i would say pick one niche and one strategy and really focus on that once you enter real estate, it's tempting to, and you're looking at ways to expand, it's tempting to, to get shiny object syndrome and say, um, wow, okay, I'm doing rental properties now. Maybe I could branch off into flips and then mobile home parks and commercial spaces and warehouses and shopping centers and this and that and the other. And um, I mean, that's enough to make your head explode. So my philosophy has always been pick one niche and one strategy. So I do residential, um, single family or small multifamily homes within the metro Atlanta area. And I exclusively, uh, do buy and hold. I, I don't do, I don't invest in tax liens or flips or anything like that. Um, and I know that's controversial. There are, there are many people who would disagree with me, but, um, my goal has never been to be a full-time real estate investor. My goal has always been to have a stream of passive income created by real estate that supports me while I'm off doing other fun things like traveling or writing or teaching or whatever else it is that I want to do. So I don't want my, uh, my mental space and my time to be occupied by um, expanding my real estate repertoire. I would rather just focus on one thing and become really good at that that one thing. And I'd love to backtrack if that's okay to right before whenever I asked you about your best real estate investing advice ever and you were mentioning kind of how you progressed and because I, I don't want to cut off that conversation. I, I kind of want to see that through because you had seven rental properties. You have seven rental properties now, right? Yes, seven, seven units, including the three in the triplex. Seven units. Okay, so you have seven units now. You initially got you know got the first property and how have you grown from there to become to be where you're at right now so i've uh actually i'm i'm slow and steady wins the race has always sort of been my approach 
And so I, uh, after buying that triplex, I've been accumulating properties at a rate of one per year, and I've done it for five years. So the first one, I, I sort of jumped in on the deep end and started off with a three-unit building. And since then, I've accumulated at the rate of one single-family home per year for the following four years. And how are you building up the money to purchase the you know the, the one property a year? Is it money that you and your boyfriend are making from your freelancing gigs plus the rental income or is it just the rental income? I imagine probably needs to be more than just a rental income or profit rather. So what what's your approach for, you know, kind of creating that that money to invest in the, you know, subsequent properties? It's a combination. I use some of the profits, the the cash flow, I should say. I use some of the cash flow from the other properties. Um part I I sort of put that into three buckets. Some of that cash flow is used for repairs and maintenance on those properties. Some of that cash flow is used to build an emergency fund and pay down the mortgages. And then some of that cash flow is used to um, to buy the next one. And then in addition to that, as you said, uh, the money that I make from my, my other business, my online freelance business, um, a lot of that goes into buying more properties. And so uh, my boyfriend and I have this saving strategy in which we live on one person's income and save the other person's. Um, and I realize that sounds a little bit, it sounds a little extreme when I say it like that. But if you think about it, a lot of families in America are one-income families. Um, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, the average American household has 1.3 income earners. So many, many households in America uh, rely on one income. And so our philosophy has been, let's live like the average American. Let's live on one income. And then we'll take the other income and put all of it into um, savings, which eventually turns into either the down payment on another house or if the other house is cheap enough, we'll just buy that other house in cash, free and clear. Have you had to adjust your strategy as Atlanta gets more and more notoriety as a place to invest from, you know, from investors across the nation? <laughs> That's a great question. I have. Um, I've had to look into neighborhoods that I otherwise wouldn't have looked at. So in 2010, um, there are certain neighborhoods that I, I wouldn't have even considered. And now that prices have have risen substantially and the the math just doesn't make sense in those neighborhoods anymore. Um, the cap rates at the current purchase price are just, they don't work out. Um, I've had to look at different neighborhoods. So uh, the last house that I bought was in a neighborhood that I I never would have even considered had it not been for the fact that I knew some other investors who were who were investing there and they urged me like, Paula, keep an open mind, take a look at this place. And I, I at first was very resistant. I was like, no, 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 I'm not going to. But, you know, I, I spent time there and I looked at the numbers and I spent a lot of boots on the ground time there too, just just sitting at going to the, the stores and having lunch there and, and sort of getting a feel for the space. And eventually, once I got comfortable enough with that neighborhood, I, I took the leap, bought a house there. That was house number five. How do you evaluate a property initially to see if it's worth spending more time to uh, investigate further? So the back of the envelope uh, calculation is, does the property meet the 1% rule? Meaning, is the uh, Month, the gross monthly income at least 1% of the purchase price. In other words, for every $100,000 of house, 
it needs to rent for at least $1,000 a month. For a $200,000 house, it needs to rent for at least $2,000 a month and so on. Um, if it doesn't meet that rule, I don't even consider it. Now, there are some investors, some re- rental property investors who believe that that is too generous. They believe in uh, what's called the 2% rule, which is um, basically it's that rule, but double. So the 2% rule would state that for every $100,000 of house, it needs to rent for at least 2000 a month. Um, I personally do not use that rule as a baseline criteria because the reward is proportionate to the risk. So in a more stable neighborhood where you tend to get higher quality tenants, uh, lower vacancies, lower turnover, and just lower a lower number of headaches, um, in those neighborhoods, I'm happy to get the, a 1% rural house given that I'm also in a, a better neighborhood. Are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Yeah, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever sponsors crowdfunding. You've heard about it and now it's time to learn about it. Our best ever sponsor, Patch of Land, is a leading expert in the crowdfunding space and they've got all the answers to your crowdfunding questions. Go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever and grab your copy of the top 10 answers to the top 10 crowdfunding questions. That's p-a-t-c-h-o-f-l-e-n-d.com forward slash best ever. Do you need an equity partner or do you know about a great deal and want to get paid for finding it? Masia Development is looking for retail and medical office deals nationwide in the 1 to 30 million range. With over 500 million of assets in their portfolio, Masia Development can help you make that retail or medical office deal happen. Email them at jv at m-a-s-c-i-a-d-e-v.com. Okay, Paula, best ever book you've read? Cashflow Quadrant by Robert Kiyosaki. Best ever listeners, I know you like audio, so you can go to freebesteverbook.com and get a free audio version of a book like that. Best ever personal growth experience and what you learned from it. Quitting my job and traveling the world for two years, and I learned that I could do anything and that I could afford anything. Best ever success habit you practice. When I do practice it, it's waking up early in the morning. I'm not great at it, but I occasionally practice that, and it it completely remakes my day. Best ever deal you've done. The second house that I bought, we bought it for $21,000 in cash, put $10,000 into repairing it, so we're in it for thirty-one total, and it rents for about $900 a month. How'd you find it? Through a friend who is a foreclosure agent. And how much does it rent for? $900 a month. Well, $895 specifically. <laughs> Best ever project you're most excited about right now? My website, affordanything.com. It, it has a huge um, and very rapidly growing readership. We've got about 12,000 email subscribers right now and um, more than 100,000 visits a month. And people are really excited about um, freedom and real estate and investing. Uh, it's It's been really, really rewarding to um, inspire and teach and, and lead through that site. What's been the most popular piece of content that you have on there? It, it changes, but right now I have a series about the details it's what I call the Airbnb experiment. So I took one of my rental units and decided to rent it out on Airbnb. And I wanted to test whether or not Airbnb would be more or less lucrative than using that as a long-term rental, given the Airbnb, yeah, it has a higher monthly, um, you know, gross revenue, but at the same time, it also has more vacancies, more turn, more turnover, consumables. I pay all the utilities, all of, all of those other overhead expenses. So I've carefully documented every dime coming in and going out through the Airbnb experiment and written these um, very, very detailed, very comprehensive articles about it. And those have been my, those are currently my most popular posts. And what's the verdict? Is it more profitable to do Airbnb 
or is it more profitable to do the traditional way of renting it out with a long-term resident? It is uh, it is more profitable to rent it through Airbnb, but it's also more hassle. So you have to make a decision as to whether or not your time and perhaps more importantly your mental space um, would like to to take on that additional management load. Best ever way you like to give back through teaching. Um, teaching has always been important to me. My dad was a teacher. My, my dad is a teacher and my mom was a stay-at-home mom. And so that's always been a, a big part of our family. And uh, that's what I, that's the way that I like to sort of spread my um, goodness, spread goodness out into the world. Best ever quote. Fortune favors the bold by Virgil. What would you say is the biggest mistake you've made in real estate? <laughs> Trying to do everything myself, which is what I did in the beginning. I was very locked into the DIY mentality um, and didn't respect that this is a business and if you, the investor, has to make a profit even after paying for um, the management and the contractor and everything else. I used to think that I could quote unquote increase my profits and I'm putting those in giant air quotes. I used to think I could increase my profits if I did the work myself and paid myself zero. I now see that that is BS accounting. So that was my biggest mistake. What's the best ever place to reach you, Paula? Affordanything.com. Um, you can uh, reach out to me there. I'm also on Facebook at Afford Anything, Twitter at Afford Anything, or, um, or you could find me on, on Instagram just through my name, Paula Pant. Paula, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your best ever advice with the best ever listeners. And you know, before I get into some of the things I learned about what you're saying, I just want to mention what I heard, and you have an, a, a beautiful voice. I mean, I, I think you should definitely start your own podcast just from your own experience. Number one, you got a great story, but you've got a voice for this stuff, too. I mean, I, I wish I had your voice. The best ever listeners wish I had your voice, too, right? Because I'd sound a lot smoother and better. But, you know, with the show uh, and our conversation, I mean, just it, this truly has been a conversation about your journey. And, you know, whenever you were in the bustling and, and cutting edge industry of newspapers <laughs> to, you know, to wanting to get out of there and seeing that you didn't want that nine to five job for the rest of your life. You wanted to create your own future. You wanted to create your own destiny. And you knew that you needed to make some things happen in order to, in order for that to come to fruition. And, you know, one of the things, you know, when you first started the short sale, $440,000 property, you bought it for 225K. And that was uh, as a result of you doing just a little bit of analysis at the property you're at at the, the current moment and seeing that the landlord wasn't making money. And that opened up your eyes to other opportunities. And that's when the short sale presented itself right down the street. And, you know, when you go into that type of property with that amount of equity, that sets you up for some big time success to be able to leverage that if you choose to do so. And you'd mentioned that even though you got a higher interest rate, 5.375%, which is much higher than what people were typically getting at that time, who cares as long as the numbers work out? Because it's all about the numbers and it's about the, you know, the cash flow of the property. And I love how you stay focused in the in your area, which happens to be residential singer multifamily, small multifamily within Atlanta, and how you've evolved your approach over time as Atlanta gets more notoriety, gets noticed from investors out of state more and more, and you've shifted your focus and you've used your proximity to the area to your advantage where you're able to scope out the scene for new up and coming areas and spending time 
there and kind of hanging out, having coffee at the coffee shop and, and kind of checking out the vibe and seeing really what who's living there, you know, what type of industry is present, what, what type of jobs are there, and kind of the, the profile of not only the, the business but the people and getting to know them. And, you know, lastly, I, I think one of the things that stood out to me on this in this conversation was living on one person's income and saving the other person's income. It reminds me of a book I read, Self-Made in America by John McCormick. I recently read it, even though it's a really old book. Well, I mean, maybe like 15, 20 years. But the, the author just talks about the success that immigrants have whenever they come to this country, because one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons is because they live below their means and they save and they take that money and they reinvest. They don't let their lifestyle increase as they make more money. They keep their lifestyle consistent until they have an opportunity to have more of a, a nest egg to to play with. And sometimes even they, they still remain um, at that lifestyle even after they've they become multimillionaires. Um, and that's one of the reasons he mentioned. So I love the approach of living on one person's income and saving the the other person so thank you so much for being on the show paula uh sharing your best ever advice with the best ever listeners and we'll talk to you soon oh thank you thank you very much all right take care hey you best ever listener do you want more then go to joefairless.com where you'll get tons of free videos templates and content to help you get deals done And remember to subscribe to the best ever show in iTunes so you can keep getting your daily dose of the best real estate investing advice ever.